thought like a very simple way to intro you is to read your Twitter bio with all like the little bullets and like mm. after each one that I bring up, just briefly tell me what it means. Does that sound good? So, sounds good. I'll give myself one breath each because otherwise I'll go on forever. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine there's a lot to say for each, but the first one is uh, feral free agent. I've seen that before. I feel like I've seen other people say that as well. What is a feral free agent? Yeah, so the term I think was coined by Visa Ken. Um, Visa, um, and I mean, so a feral animal is one that has, is it's different from a wild animal in that it was formerly domesticated either as an individual or as a species and then has become undomesticated, like has gone back to the wild. And so if mm -hmm. you think of people as having been domesticated by society, you can, you can think of a, uh, the feral there as pointing at a kind of getting outside of the trap of society and sort of becoming your own creature who of course still lives in the economic world just in the way that an animal lives in the ecologic world um we actually just recorded a feral free agents kind of jam thing a couple days ago so that may be live by the time you put the thing up i can send you a link to it cool yeah i can put it in the notes um yeah. just a, as a follow-up on that uh what does that look like in, like being undomesticated what does that look like in malcolm's life yeah um so I really like like waking up each day and just doing whatever I feel like and mm. um, to, you know, to some extent, I'm going to feel like getting on the various calls I have scheduled, you know, if I have stuff in my schedule, but it's very much like absent some idea that I'm sort of plugged into some sort of grid, you know, um, it's more... Um, yeah, self-directed, self-authored, and I've been talking with uh, with my partner Jess about this a bit recently. And like, you know, she's like, you know, I want more structure. I want people to work with and stuff. And I'm like, I would actually really love to have people to work with for periods of time. Like, I would love to have periods of time where for a week or a month, like I'm working every day with a group of people on a concrete project, and then we ship it and it's done. And then again, by default, I just wake up every day and do whatever I feel like. But I don't mm -hmm. want to have indefinite. Every day I wake up and I go to work like that's right. just I, I can't handle that. Yeah, that's good. Um, that connects with another one of the items that we'll get to. Uh, the next one is a singer songwriter. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been writing songs for more than half my life. Um, I, re I released an album like 10 years ago um, and I've been trying to record more music since then. But that's been hard for in part just various technical reasons. Like, mm. you know, if I had a larger budget, I could. Um, pay to just go to a studio and have other people take care of all the technical stuff and I could just sing and play and you know have to practice and stuff like that um, but I haven't had that and I haven't had the gear that I've wanted to kind of produce stuff the way that I've wanted so I've been in a kind of weird limbo with that but yeah I still write songs um, and it's been a very meaningful way to tap my own wisdom um, and every now and then I'll like I'll sing a song that I wrote like 10 years ago and I'll be like I thought I just learned this insight that this guy seems to have put in this song like last week. Right. But apparently on some level I was already in touch with that truth. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool thing about uh, creating artifacts like art out of your, your experience of life because yeah. they are these like really deep, um, highly compressed snapshots of all sorts of things like yeah, ways memories, of like nostalgia. Game meaning yeah. um 
The next one is uh, trust dancer. What does that mean? Mm. Yeah. So for the last three years or so, I've been um, orienting to questions of how does trust building work in like a really robust way? And sometimes trust is kind of like people will say like, oh, you've got to like, you, you know, you've got to trust people in order for them to trust you. And it's like, well, OK, but where does that trust come from? And like, as far as I can tell, people are kind of like a lot of the time when they're trusting, they're actually like sweeping something under the rug. Mm. And so I like to think about like trust dancer is pointing at this framework i have to look at all this stuff called the non-naive trust dance which is a way of describing what we are always constantly doing with each other in every moment it's it's a, it's intended to be kind of like the study of how trust works on a sort of descriptive level that's like physics um like how how does how do particles move it's like how does trust establish and fall apart and so forth mm -hmm. with the idea that you could then like use that to build you know, airplanes, like the, the trust equivalent of airplanes, right? Like if you understand trust physics well enough, you could build up like way more like deeper human superorganisms than you can if you're sort of using only kind of, you know, back of the envelope versions of like calculations, I guess. Yeah. So it's like, what would it be like to get really skilled and sophisticated at this thing that we all depend on for coordination, this thing we call trust? Um, yeah, exactly. And I say trust answer because it's like you actually can't directly go build trust. Yeah. It's like anything you do is is always just a, an attempt and it'll either work or it won't. But it's like you can't you can't do trust building. You have to dance out the dance of, you know, OK, well, it seems like they want me to make that move, but that move would not work for me, but maybe I can make this move, which is kind of similar. And then they're like, Oh yeah. And then mm -hmm. you'd be like, oh, okay, cool. And yeah. And it, it feels very different to be sort of dancing it consciously versus kind of some people are kind of in certain contexts can find themselves objecting to the whole process, in which case, like maybe you need to take a step back or whatever. Anyway, that's a whole bigger topic. But. Yeah. I, I, I want to dive into that one actually. Um, We'll, we'll get to it, but yeah. the one thing that popped in my mind, which I don't want to forget, is I, I love the, the metaphor in part because it's, it's about the body, like you, you dance with your body, and there's so many things in life that if you get at from like a very explicit mode, from a deliberate verbal mode, you can't actually like do the thing, you know? It, there's like a more intuitive embodied type wisdom. Like the, one, the example that came to mind was... Um, like seduction and courtship. And mm. if, if it's like overly explicit and we're like engineering verbally, like how two people like fall in love, it kind of like doesn't happen. So there's, there's some sort of like ambiguous thing with mystique that is happening at like a subverbal level that is very much like a dance. Sometimes it's literally a dance. Um, and yeah, this is more than just an analogy because obviously falling in love has something to do with the trust dance as well. Totally. Totally. I would say meeting dance are a kind of trust dance. Say it again. Mating dances are absolutely a kind of trust dance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and we have animals that do, quote unquote, literal mating dances, right? Where the, you know, the bird always does this particular kind of thing. Or maybe the birds do different things in this species. And they like, the young ones copy the old ones and they have a whole thing. But, um, but yeah, it's like, 
that, yeah, <laughs> much more I can say about that, but yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, there's two more. So the next one seems almost like a, like a, like a counterpoint or like a, like a different, a different side of the map from the trust answer, which is a systems designer. So what, what does that mean to you being a systems designer? Yeah. Um, There's a bunch of dimensions of that. So one thing it is, is a reference to my having studied systems design engineering. Mm. Um, and, but unfortunately systems design engineering was like 90 plus percent engineering and only like very little did it actually really deeply look at like systems, like complex systems, dissipative systems. There's like all sorts of really interesting kinds of systems that you can study. And we were mostly just studying physical mechanical systems, which is like not that, not that exciting as far as like systems thinking and stuff goes. Mm. Um, um, and we also, you know, we had a little bit of design, but there could have been a lot more design thinking as well. And, um, but yeah, I think of it in terms of like, you know, I, I create systems of various kinds. Like I've made, you know, apps and I've made, um, other little tools or, or, uh, approaches to things. And I guess like part of why it's there as well is like, I really see myself as a designer. Like I, I have an eye for design and I I often say almost nothing is actually designed. Hmm. And what I mean by that is like even if you take an object that like that was designed, you know, like I don't know, here's a um I don't even know what this is, some sort of little like clock or type device or whatever, right? It's like, you know, they designed, okay, we're going to have these buttons here and we're going to have this there. But the number of situations that they probably didn't think about is is vastly right, right. greater than the number that they did. Like in in some sense, like things are designed in a way where it's like only one mode is considered, and all of the other ways in which you could use the thing are not considered and not factored in. So I had a laptop that the the battery had a little switch to like release it, mm -hmm. and my old version of the laptop was fine, but then I, it was broken and I sent it back and they sent me a, like the slightly later model. And for some reason on the later model, somebody had gotten paid to reorganize the whole bottom of the thing. And one of the things they did when reorganizing it was they put the battery release switch in exactly the place where I would go to pick up the laptop. So I literally had to put, had to put tape over the battery release switch so that when picking up the laptop, I wouldn't cause the battery to fall out by kind of grabbing it right where the switch was. And it's like the person putting that switch in didn't think about all of the other times somebody might inadvertently interact with that switch. They're only thinking about, ah, if they want to get the battery out, then they can, you know, pull mm -hmm. the switch. So it's like, yeah, I, I think about that a lot. And I'm, I'm regularly just seeing an object and being like, ah, if you had considered this moment right now, when you, when designing this, you would not have designed it this way. Um, and so I think in some ways of that as being in part, and maybe this is a bit open, a bit much, but like being a kind of systems approach to design. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's looking at the, the whole system, not just does it do the thing it's supposed to do. It's like, but what else does it do? What does it inadvertently do that you might not want? What other opportunities does it afford that you might not have thought of? Right. Like what are the second order effects of this, yeah. this thing? Yeah. And um, so my attention is very often drawn to, the subtleties of, of user experience design and stuff like that. Yeah. And that, that brings us to the final item in your bio, which is you designed, you built a productivity tool mm -hmm. called intend.do. Mm -hmm. Previously it was called Complice. Mm -hmm. um, 
very recently you had the name change, right? Like a, like a few weeks ago. Yeah. It was just like a month and a half. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a great name. I think it really suits, uh, suits what it does. Um, and you said it's a, it's a tool to help you be playfully purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually I've been using it in for the last two weeks in earnest. Like I, I just like switched over and started using it, um, in anticipation for our conversation because oh, I figured cool. we'd have, uh, some cool things to talk about with it. But, um, what, what did if you, what do you mean by playfully purposeful? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those sort of bigrams, like two word combinations that tries to evoke like aspects of like some aspect of paradox. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the Vajrayana folks will talk about like spacious passion and passionate space. And it's like, how do these, mm-hmm. you know, and form and emptiness and all that. Um, and so that, that those, those two dimensions have been a, an ongoing puzzle for me for, you know, a long time, which is like, how do I be driven and purposeful and, you know, goal oriented and directed and self-authored, you know, like all of these kinds of very like, whew, like that energy, you know, while also not getting kind of stuck in a kind of narrow tunneled, I got to do this or, mm-hmm. um, you know, even outside of, I've got to do this just like, you know, I'm doing the thing that I want to do. Right. But there's a kind of like, you know, not noticing that, like, I don't know, like, you know, my girlfriend is mad at me that I didn't pay attention to her thing because I was too busy with the thing I got to the thing I really wanted to do. Right. Cause mm-hmm. there's a kind of narrowing. And so it's like, um, yeah, that attitude of playfulness, um, play is also very related to learning. It's like you can train, you can, you can, you can get better at something you already know how to do by sort of training and drilling. But if you want to expand your capacity to do different things, then that's where play comes in. Like plays where you kind of, and I'm sort of riffing on some like Andrew Huberman podcast or something right now, but it's like play is where you kind of relax that sense of what you're doing and you try other weird stuff, even if it doesn't work and and so forth. And so it's like to bring that attitude towards purposefulness means that it's not just like, Oh, I have this thing that I'm going to do and I know how to do it and now I'm going to do it. And now I've done it and I did it. Right. It's sort of, it's like, well, I have this burning desire in my heart for this, or, Whoa, I have this situation where like, I need to make more money because you know, I have have kids or I'm going to have kids or my parents have these medical bills or whatever the situation is like, so how am I going to do that in the context of everything else I care about? And it's like, whoa, like once again, we get into a kind of thing where in order to talk about this, I'm starting to dance because Mm -hmm. there's fluidity of the kind of balance of bringing all of these into relation with each other. For those just listening, Malcolm was swaying his arms, uh, swirling around, swirling around. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, so I I think this like paradox of like purposefulness and playfulness, or even uh, you can think of it as like goal orientedness and the the narrow minded focus that comes from that versus being adaptive. Um, it's I think mm-hmm. it's a good place to start. I this is something that I struggle a lot with, um, and I I'm an executive coach for tech founders, and we do a lot of like productivity coaching basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have like a lot of volatility in their, in their responsibilities and their tasks, but they also have like very clear targets. And so, um, 
the, I have like my own opinions about this, but I think maybe a good place to start would be if I tell you what I think you're up to with this app in yeah. 10.2 based on my uh, two weeks of, of testing it out. Yeah. And then you can correct me on or see if I got it basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just jam. I love it. Um, so I think the way I see Intend is like a really um, a very good counterpoint to David Allen's getting things done method. Um, and GTD is very much about taking all your responsibilities and making them explicit and clear to you and then renegotiating the ones that need to be renegotiated and then organizing it in a way so that yourself, your future self has the right information to take action on these things. And it's really effective if you like, if you actually do it, like if you do all the practices, if you capture all the all the things in your mind into your inbox, if you process that inbox, if you organize it into project lists, um, and then if you review those project lists at the right time and then do the things that are in that list. But where most people get tripped up, and I've been teaching people GTD for a while, so I, I've seen so many different reactions to it. Um, most people get caught in the weeds of making like a super exhaustive system to track everything in their life and as soon as something happens, like they go on a trip for two days or something and they, they don't do the practices of keeping it up, it starts growing weeds and rust. And then it's like a really heavy lift to clean it up again. And so they start losing their productivity, their intentionality. And it seems like you tried to solve for this problem by um, not focus, like deliberately ignoring the minutia and f forcing the user of the app to make their priorities like explicit from day one. So it's like very goals first. And I almost see it as uh, like the Eisenhower matrix where you have um, the two by two between importance and urgency. Totally. It's like, let's just focus on everything that's important and including the non-urgent important things and everything else. Like we'll take the trade off in the other direction where, you know, if you like, forget to like uh i don't know return that package to amazon or whatever like that that's not as big of a deal as if as if you forget to like work on publishing your album that is like really important to you um yeah and i think uh so far uh it seems like a pretty elegant solution to that um as long as you're willing to take the trade off in that direction is that kind of what you're getting at with intend yeah, that, that feels spot on. And and so it's like the trade-off is going to be way more worth it for people who have and are at all in touch with or oriented to like interesting self-directed stuff in their life. You mm. know, if your life mostly consists of doing obligations for other people and you're and you're fine with that, then like probably you don't want to take the hit of like dropping stuff sometimes so that in, in each moment you're sort of more in touch with what feels alive to you because like uh, part your main responsibility is to not drop stuff mm -hmm. um but it's like if your work is more creative or involves more self-directedness or a lot of choices and decision making you know where where like there's actually you know thousands of realistic potential things you could do and obviously some of them are better than others but it's like you know you you can't just sort of like you can spend all your time organizing them and never get to doing anything. And 
in some sense, the only best thing you can get out of the organizing is deciding which 95% of the stuff you're not ever going to do. Right, right. But then it's like, are you still putting energy into tracking it then? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there are, there are ways to do that with, with certain kinds of systems. Um, but yeah, so that, that feels, yeah, I, f- I, feel, I feel like you basically nailed it. And I like how you kind of named what that trade-off was. And it feels mm-hmm. to me like in some ways, like, like GTD was invented as computers were kind of just coming into the workforce and like knowledge work was a thing. Mm-hmm. But computers were new. The Internet didn't exist yet. And so in some sense, you were probably at that time dealing with a a sort of finite amount of possible things you could do that you actually kind of could get a reasonable handle on. And I think in this era where we're now in the digital world and you can just, you know, the act of saving something. Like um, I was trying to map, I was mapping out a shift that we've gone through. The act of of saving something is now very cheap, but the act of um, it's both easier to end up with a thousand things, but it's also easier than ever to get rid of a thousand things. Like if you're a hoarder at your home, it's like you need a literal truck to carry all that stuff away. Even if you can manage to stomach this choice to, to let it all go. You still right. need a literal truck and a bunch of strong people to lift it all into the truck. If you've been hoarding stuff in your email inbox, it's literally about five seconds to make it all go away. Yeah, you can you can jubilee it. You can archive everything. Yeah, you can just archive all of it right away. And so, so we're like, one of the things I've been thinking about, and I've started writing a book trying to distill some of this philosophy down, um, and that's been really cool. I'm trying to write the whole thing in first person as like things I've realized rather than like telling you what you can and should do. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. We'll see if I can manage to do literally the whole book like that. But um, what I what I've realized and this is this was sort of central to, you know, when I first got started with with the app Complice at that time, which, you know, became Intent. When I first got started with it, it's like, I didn't even actually know that it was going to look that much like a to-do list. Like it was, it was really just starting with like, okay, what are your goals? Like, what are your big picture care abouts that you want to be focusing on at least a little bit, like basically every day. And then it's kind of like, okay, now are you making progress towards those? And then it's like, obviously once you have a list of things like that on a web page, you want a little checkbox next to them. Mm-hmm. But it was originally email based. Like you would just send in the list in the morning. Here's what I'm going to do towards my goals. And then you send another it, list in the evening here's what i actually did towards each of my goals and here's how i'm feeling about that and and so it was like well okay now they're listed on a web page so we should have a checkbox but it's like it never started as a as a place to organize anything right like that was not ever the point and david allen as far as i can tell and i I think you've talked to him right like you you interviewed him on on metagame so he clearly sees the managing and organizing of stuff as a spiritual discipline like he, mm-hmm. he clearly you know sees it in that way and I, I i also do and it's it's just it's a kind of different angle it's sort of like it's a little bit maybe like the two schools of Taoism. one of which is like you know like just go with the flow man and the other is like train yourself to be impeccable and then you can just go with the flow mm-hmm. and they have these sort of two different 
um, two different modes. But it's like, so, so, so to kind of, to speak to what I see as really beautiful in what David Allen is pointing at is he's like, the reason you can't do the thing you're trying to do is that you have a bunch of competing other things that are trying to get your attention and you don't trust that you're going to get to those things later. And so you got to write all those down and put them in a trusted system where you know that you'll get to them when it's time. And so right now you can do the one thing that you've chosen that you're going to do. Mm -hmm. So that, and, and, and there is a kind of spiritual quality to like the, the management of attention and intention is a very, in some sense, spiritual thing. And, um, I'm part of me wants to qualify what I mean by that for people who are, who are conflating spiritual and religious too much. Um, but it's like, it's spiritual in the way that the word spirit is related to the word inspiration. Mm -hmm. It's like what moves you, what is of the essence of matteringness itself. Like the choice right. of what to spend your time on is the choice of what matters to you. They're, they are, they're the same choice. They're, they're not just not separable. They are not distinct. Um, and so, so David Allen has this, this really beautiful principle of, you know, don't try to hold on to all this stuff in your head. Let the system remember it for you. And that way, you know, when you're working on this, that you're, you're just doing this and you don't have to do anything else. And so that's all fine and good. But when I tried doing GTD, I found that my, you know, uh, ADHD brain or whatever had an absurd number of ideas, mm -hmm. you know, ideas for companies I wanted to start ideas for, you know, funny videos I could make. Like, you know, I'm not a video maker or I was not at the time. Like I was not in the habit of making videos, but I would still, I would just have all of these ideas. And there I would be like writing them all down into the G GTD system to try to, to try to what I, I it's like now they're in the system and I've got to look at them again mm -hmm. and I got to decide, do I really want to do this or not? And it's like, and I'm, and sometimes it would be like really inane ideas. Like, you know, like what if I combine this food and that food or, or something like there was this quality, you know, that's maybe a bit extreme, but there was this quality of like, I'm trying to write everything down, but it's like, why? Why does any, why do any of these things matter? Oh, here's a book somebody recommended. Okay, it goes in the list. Why? Why would I read that book? Like, and, and the why was so missing of all of these randomly assorted objects in, in, in this sort of task management system. And so with intent, it's like you're starting with the why. Mm -hmm. And then you're all, like, it's also like my sense is it is really important to be able to do just one thing and to sort of trust that everything else will be taken care of later. And there is a different way to do that than writing it all down in some external system. And that different way looks approximately like Oh, it's 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 so it's right on the tip of my tongue. It's like it's it's hard to name because it's a little bit ineffable, but it's like right now you're free to do whatever you want. 
And if you can trust yourself to notice what matters to you in the future, then you can trust yourself to notice what matters to you in the future. And there may be, on rare occasions, ideas you have that are sufficiently juicy and sufficiently sort of rare and and unique that you really want to write them down. It's like, oh, here's a new metaphor for something. I might develop that into a blog post at some point, but right now I'm finishing this programming project. So I'm going to put that over there to have a look at again, because I might not remember the metaphor because I'm it's just a fleeting thought otherwise. But if it's something like, oh, I got to do the laundry. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe you'll notice that again by the time it's time to do the laundry. Yeah, I think the the problem is when all of these intentions have the same, uh, they're they're the same like hierarchy, like they're mm-hmm. they're represented in the same way to you. So doing the laundry is made just as important as writing that blog post based on that metaphor. And I like how you emphasize the why. In my mind, I was thinking the people that uh, GTD works really well for, like out of the box they tend to have a very defined life with a defined set of responsibilities. So they have Mm. boundaries Um, and they're not going to put things down like, Oh, let's, what would it be like if I mix this food with this food? (laughs) Because that's not within their purview. And those decisions have already been made. And I think there's different factors that lead to having more like boundaries around your life. One of, one of it, one of them is temperament, probably like people who are high in openness are probably going to have like way more of these harebrained ideas than people who are like super conscientious and like below average in openness. But I also think some of it has to do with goals. As you said, like if you've just pre-decided this is what matters to me, then I always say like purpose engenders boundaries. If you have a sense of purpose, if you have your goals, boundaries will follow from that. And then like at the deepest level, um, and this is something more at the edge of my thinking and I've been trying to figure out in my life is uh, convictions. So um, if you take somebody, let's say, who's like, hyper religious and pious and you know follows like fundamentalist christian values and they that that's like how they orient their life immediately that's pre-decided like a million different things and a million different Mm. choices they've made like one decision that's responsible for a million different other decisions and that means when certain whims and ideas come up they're not going to make the cut to like enter their list of possible ways to use their attention and their, and their time. But I think nowadays when people have less conviction and also it's somewhat valuable to be intellectually humble and update your models and like question your worldview, et cetera, all that stuff's happening at a much faster rate than I think even 20 years ago, we also have way more inputs. So like, I'll even notice this if I, if I don't spend any time on Twitter, I'm definitely like a more like consistent person. And then if I like binge on Twitter, I get all these different ideas and ways of looking at the world. And I start like experimenting more and I'm less consistent just cause I'm taking in more inputs. Um, so it's, it's a lot harder to make like a manageable GTD style list and then actually like review it and process it and, and use it in a practical way. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that I really want to highlight here is like, um, so I was mentioning the laundry as an example, and you use the word uh, intention to refer mm-hmm. to that, which is, of course, a word that in- the Intend app uses, and that's part of why I renamed it to Intend, because I was like, oh, this is really core to it. So one of the th- reasons that I think 
people get confused with GTD-like systems is that it's not that they, well, there is an issue of things being at equal levels of importance or something but they, when they put them in, but it's actually something that's neither importance nor urgency, but something like cho chose, chosedness, cho choicedness. Like, when I have this idea, like, well, what if I started a company that, you know, blah, 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 you know, I have not intended to start mm. that company, you know? And even when I have an idea, oh, I could write a blog post about this. It's like, am I intending to write that blog post? It's, it's sort of unclear in a typical GTD system. The, mm -hmm. the difference between something like an idea, something like an opportunity, which maybe, you know, you could say has a, has a fixed window, you know, um, whereas an idea might last forever. But I mean, these are just random words. Who cares? So an idea, an opportunity, an obligation. Mm -hmm. Those are very different types of objects or something like a responsibility or something like that. It's like, okay, somebody's expecting me to do this in particular at this time. Somebody's expecting me to deliver something like this within which one option is this thing I just thought of. But I don't have to do this thing I just thought of, but right. I do have to do something like it in order to satisfy this criterion, which somebody definitely is expecting me to satisfy. It's like the level of where the choice comes in versus the versus where it's like assumed that something just is going to happen. It's like your laundry in some sense is going to happen eventually. But are you intending yeah. to do it today? Yeah, it's a, it's like a, there's a spectrum of concreteness. And I almost want to distinguish that from the choicedness that, that you're uh -huh. referring to. Because so many things that are concrete, we, didn't, we don't really choose, right? Like um, you get a Slack message from your boss for something that they want you to respond to or whatever. Uh -huh. That's very concrete. So that's going to make its way into your to-do list. But you didn't really choose it. It was an obligation. Um, well, well, so I, when, when I say choosedness, I don't mean by contrast with obligation. In some sense, you yeah. are choosing your obligations. What I mean is something like an idea you haven't chosen to work on at all, but by writing it down, you are sort of, well, so it depends on where you write it down. If you write it down in list of ideas that I can find later when I look for my ideas, mm -hmm. then you have not intended to do anything with it. You've merely collected it. It's there. It's available. But if you wrote it down into a GC GTD system, you are creating at least an intention to look at it at least one more time. Right. And it's like, like, why are you creating that intention? And then at the point when you look at it and tasks like like to do's creep into all sorts of weird places, like mm -hmm. browser tabs end up functioning as to do's. Yeah. Right. Like I try to keep a backlog free life. And then I look at my browser window and I've got a dozen tabs open that are just like like. What? I'm like, what are these? I sometimes go through and I'm like sort of triaging. I'm like, okay, this is a thing I am considering buying. <laughs> so I got a choice to make here, right? Like I am intending to make a choice. If I, had, if I was certain I was going to buy it, I probably would have just bought it already. But I'm apparently I'm intending to make a choice about whether to buy it. And I don't feel comfortable just closing it and forgetting about it. Yeah, I, I, this reminds me of a shit post. I made a little while ago uh, where I said productivity systems are procrastination tools for slow decision makers because every single one of these tabs and every single one of these things that you wrote down to do later or review later in, entails a decision of some form or more than one decision. And part of the reason why we, we write it down instead of 
dealing with it immediately is the actual experience of decision-making is challenging. It's like a, it's a little leap of faith. It's like choosing one path out of like an infinite Mm -hmm. possibility space. And people generally are very slow at that Mm -hmm. and they overestimate the consequences of minor decisions and underestimate the consequences of major ones, et cetera. So it's easier to just keep those tabs open and like assume future Daniel's going to deal with it. Totally. Totally. And then in practice, what I found sometimes is like my computer would crash and I would open up my browser and it'd be like restore 57 tabs. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Yeah. And then this like blessed quiet emerges and it's like those tabs didn't need my attention. But what if you lost like a billion dollar startup idea that was in there? What if I <laughs> lost it because I made the wrong choice when I looked at it consciously anyway? Like, it, I mean, you're right. Like, you, you, but also like, you know, intend might be a billion dollar company or something. I'm not quite intending to grow it quite that large, but you know, it it might be a company that grows as large as I want to grow a company. And if I can't focus on that, because I'm too busy trying to decide what to do about all of these other things. um, Yeah, I do think, I do think that the, probably the modern world and it's like weird upside is like weird asymmetric upsides, downsides type thing is probably creating a lot of this as well. Cause there is that That's sense right. of opportunity cost. There's the sense of like FOMO. There's the sense of, you know, Oh, reading this article could be the one that changes my life. And I've had my life changed by articles before, right. right? Like it's not an unrealistic thing to think. Um, We're surrounded by lottery tickets. Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you tweet something and, and then it, it could blow up. And you could be famous, you know, or like you post a TikTok video and it has yeah. like 10 million views now and people recognize you on the street and stuff. And we're just surrounded by that in a way yeah. that wasn't the case a generation ago. I think like a, a really important um, practical principle underneath all this, like managing this type of noise and chaos is the goals stuff. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this because goals are fundamental to intend. So in the in the onboarding workflow you have to set up goals like you can't just like that's that's like primary it's forces you to frame your goals um but people really struggle with framing goals like i've coached a lot of people through this and some people get it intuitively but a lot of people they they blank out and they they find it very uncomfortable to cast a vision into the future and you also have been running these uh goal crafting intensives for Mm -hmm. a number of years now so you have all these different modalities for uh, helping people through that process. So I wonder, um, how do you think about goals? It's like, it's almost like it's a misnomer when I, uh, in the way that you talk about it, it's like a deeper word than goals. But so, so maybe you can tell the listeners. about Yeah. That. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I have been for a year or two, like actively considering renaming the thing in intend that is called a goal to some, mm-hmm. to something else. I've even considered calling that an intention, Although that gets that gets muddy because currently intention is used for like this kind of, you know, but maybe, you know, but you could call it a big intention or like a long term intention. Right. Like, I don't know. Anyway, so point is all that to say that I'm I'm not fixated on the word goals. I think there's something very powerful about it. Um, there are people who say don't have goals, just have systems. And 
from my perspective, these people are extremely full of shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, like, you know, Scott Adams literally is like, he's the one who kind of coined this, you know, goals are for losers, you know, systems are for winners or whatever. And he goes on to name as an example, you know, Olympic athletes. Mm. Take three guesses what an Olympic athlete's goals are. Gold medal. Yeah, gold, silver, and bronze. You, yeah. can, you, can, you can use all three guesses, you know? <laughs> the Olympic athlete has a very clear goal. Yeah. Now, some Olympic athletes know that they're not going to get the gold medal, right? Like, realistically, they're like, look, I'm from this country. We only started having a swim meet last year. Like, I'm, you know, I'm the best in the country, but I'm not going to get the gold medal. But they still have a goal. You know, they want to place at this level. You know, like, they're striving towards something. And... And so literally you cannot measure if a system is working unless you have some sort of goal, even if you're like, you know, even if it's implicit. Likewise, in some sense, every thing that everybody does can be considered in some sense loosely goal oriented mm. in that um, even very playful behavior is still acting in from a from a sort of cybernetic lens um i favor uh perceptual control theory but some people are more familiar with predictive processing that from a cybernetic lens you've got some sense of a world that you want and you're moving towards it that's literally if you want to walk to the bathroom mm -hmm. that's literally what you're doing if you are like you know um uh if you're like oh i can't hear malcolm right now like you know then that's the, you know, you have a goal to be able to hear me so that we can have a conversation and that you can get on the podcast and, uh, and then we can, you know, publish this thing. And if you can't hear me, then you're going to be like, hmm, okay, the way the world should be is I can hear Malcolm and currently I can't. So now I have this goal, which is to solve that. And you're like, is my headphones broken? Malcolm, is your mic on? Like, can you hear me? Like you, you sort of go to this process of kind of debugging and trying to understand why the world is different than you want it to be and what you can do about it and solving that. So I think part of the issue is that some people associate deliberate, explicit goals with now that I've set this goal, I should feel bad until I achieve it. Right. Which is not a thing you do when you're like, mm, I got to go to the bathroom. You're like, geez, I should sure kick myself every time, every step I take that I'm not already there yet. Like yeah. approximately people don't do that. Now, that kind of motivation does show up in other places, um, like other more sort of relatively mundane places. But yeah, so where am I getting with that? Um, you were talking like, oh, what's the deal with goals? Okay, so goals. Um, in the workshops, we use this definition of goal, which is a recognizable desired state in the future that causes you to act differently in the present so as to realize it. And... There's a whole bunch of stuff I could go into there about how it's like it do, the goal does not have to have a number like it doesn't it doesn't you know measurable does not have to be a number. Um, it, it does not have to have an explicit time frame, although I think it is important to not accidentally let scope creep happen. You know, it's like um, there's there's some really great stuff from the base camp folks about like time walls and something else. It's like you should either have fixed scope indefinite duration or fixed duration. Mm -hmm. And then the scope will have to compress if you don't if you don't have time. If it turns out you don't have time to do everything, well, you get as much done as you can within the scope. Um, so I kind of like that, but it's like the 
like there's a mode that's just wandering around following your nose. Like you're kind of going locally what where it feels good to you. And that's a kind of like playful but not purposeful mode. Like you're kind of, you know, if you're like in a new city and you're like, you know, just kind of walking down the street and you're like, oh, hey, there's a cool little vendor selling stuff. And then you go over to check out the vendor and there's someone next to them selling like little like lemonade stuff. And you're like, oh, cool, freshly squeezed lemonade. I'm into that. And then you like see a, mu a musician like playing some music and you wander over to check them out. And, you know, they tell you about a concert that's happening that night. And you're like, cool, maybe I'll go to the thing. And then you like, so there's a kind of just like kind of local wayfinding. It's like the flaneur, the Nassim Taleb's idea of the flaneur. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sort of just going place to place, you know, and very much steering it's different than somebody who's just on autopilot mm -hmm. like it actually takes a quality of awake improv to actually steer by your nose continuously and not just sort of fall into some sort of boring rut um and it's like no amount of that puts a man on the moon right so this actually i think i got the paradox in a question format and i, I don't know if you you'll accept this paradox but it's almost like the big problem with goals is that um, mo for most people, when you set them, they make you feel bad that you haven't achieved them. And then also people have like pretty bad hit rate of actually achieving the those mm -hmm. goals because they don't have complete knowledge of themselves and of the future. Mm -hmm. So the thing that they cast into the future is never going to be precisely what ends up happening. So that's true on one side. And on the other side, if you don't set goals, if you just have systems or whatever, or mm -hmm. if you're just not setting goals, you're not going to have valuable, difficult to achieve things in your life. So um, what is the solution to that problem? And what does it have to do with parts conflict? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, presumably, if I want the goal, I'll be, like, doing the things to get it anyway. Why do I have to write it down and, you know? Right. So, there, so, so, so why, you know, why write anything down is, I think, a, a very meaningful question, actually. Um, but that's kind of an aside. I want to kind of stay more closely with, with, um, I, I can see if I can tell a story. So, I had this experience one day of, I was doing this meditation and I tried like really just utterly letting go of all intentions, um, aiming for a kind of like ego death level of mm -hmm. like utter releasing, relinquishing kind of dying quality. And, um, and there's a little paradox in that too. What does it mean to try to let go of whatever, but I was doing a thing and it, you know, I was heading in a direction and, and the direction felt good and it kind of worked. And, um, and, and there is something slightly different between being in motion and something like having an intention, like a thing you are attempting to do at all. Like I've noticed when I do this, when I do meditations like this, I call it a nothing to do meditation. I try to just let go of the idea that I'm doing anything. I can do that while walking and it doesn't cause me to stop walking mm. because the walking state is sort of, I mean, it, it's, it's, it doesn't cause me to stop walking for the same reason it doesn't cause me to stop breathing. Like the walking is just happening. I'm on not autopilot. doing walking. Well, but even like you don't refer to your breathing quite as on autopilot. Like it's it is just it's part of life. Like I'm an organism. My mm. will, you know, like I can probably mess up my cells by willing nasty thoughts at them. Like the the, the body's pretty weird. Um, 
having said that, I do not need to exert any will in order for my body to be taking care of, um, uh, you know, digestion and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so there's a difference between processes that are maybe influenceable by conscious control, but they are they are happening in a a lively, self-directed, self-organizing way. That's so that's like one type of thing. And a lot of what goes on in the body is that. There's a tremendous amount of embodied intelligence in that. And a lot of even what's going on in our minds is actually also that. We don't really realize the extent to which, like, part of why synchronicity, etc., works is that the by the point at which something is even coming into your awareness, you and your intelligence and everything you care about has already filtered it to have it be the sort of thing that you're going to notice. Right. Like, you are not a neutral noticer of stuff. Right. So, so there's, there's the unconscious self-organizing things. Then there's, um, autopilot, which is something like a script or a program or some sort of, and you can have things that are running on autopilot since childhood. Like, you know, in childhood, you're like, you have some moment when you're like, I will never let anybody be mean to me like that again. And Mm -hmm. you like spin up a little sub agent. And then 20 years later, that sub agent is like snapping at your girlfriend for like having teased you in a way that like. (laughs) would not have upset most people, but is apparently to you a, you know, a deep form of disrespect. And you got to, you know, show her that you're not going to take it lying down. You know, like, and then there's like will that is like actively engaged in something like, ah, yes, right now. I want to, you know, and like finding that. That thread of, of something. So when it comes to goals, it's like, you know, why write anything down? Why commit to anything? Why? Oh, man. There's. One dimension of it is like there is a kind of pleasure to sticking through something hard, even though it's hard. Mm-hmm. Like th- that has a kind of pleasure to it. And. Part of it, I think, can be seen as the pleasure of that focus and coordination and there's a there's a quality of flow to it or something. So on this particular day, after I did this meditation and I was kind of I was sort of waking up from my my space of having totally let go, I because I had quieted all of my intentions, they were all suddenly very salient Mm. when they would like ping into awareness. It would be like, you know, um, like sort of like ping. I want a glass of water. Whereas previously I had been just sitting, resting, doing nothing. And it was suddenly, and whereas if I'm working, I could suddenly be like noticing that I'm halfway to the the cupboard for a snack. Hmm. And it's like, I didn't notice the intention. Ar- not only I didn't notice it arise, I didn't notice it arise and take over the body. Right. To, like to lead me out of the room. I'm having a moment of awareness suddenly halfway to having executed this intention. And so a lot of the time we're kind of buffeted around by these different intentions, inclinations, urges um, that that arise. In the space of kind of quieting them more, there, there can be a kind of noticing of, Oh, like I want to do this. And also I want to do that. And I understand the brain to have a kind of evolutionary process that goes on here. And 
so part of what's happening is like in a very local way, this one intention is kind of outcompeting the other. Mm-hmm. And it sort of it has won some sort of race, some sort of ability to rally dopamine in its favor mm-hmm. or something. Um, and there, you can have a kind of inner landscape where even though it wins, the other parts are still kind of fighting. Right. And if instead you have an attitude that's more like really letting the winner win, which involves accept, accepting in some cases, you know, suppose you're walking down the street and you see a like kind of, you know, a cool thing inside a cafe. And you're like, oh, do I want to go check that out? Or do I want to like keep going to this, you know, this thing that I'm headed to or whatever. And it's like, if you decide to keep going, you might be basically choosing that some part of you that wants to see this thing is in some sense, never going to get that satisfaction. Mm -hmm. That's not to say you're never going to get any kind of satisfaction like that. But again, there's a kind of grappling with the finitude of things and um, and this is this is hard and, and, you know, brings you right up against death. It's like right up against, oh, I'm not going to get to have all of the experiences that I might like to have each of. Right. And so part of what it means, as I see it, to really choose a goal is to. And, and when we run our workshops, we we do this, it's like there's a dream list exercise where it's like list out all of the possible goals you can even remotely imagine choosing. Then from that list, what do you want to do? And even without getting into all of the subtle spiritual aspects and even without talking about death too much, this is enough to get people seeing that they can't do all of these at once and they probably can't do all of them in one lifetime, even Mm -hmm. if all of the goals are possible, which some of them might not even be possible at all. But like, and so as a result of that, there's a there's a considering all of the factors in relation to each other. And so when you're trying to work on this goal now, you're not like secretly also trying to do 10 other things. You're like, yeah, in the context of, you know, making a new sculpture, writing a new song and, um, you know, making a painting, I chose I was going to do the painting. And so now I'm fully th- able to throw myself into the painting rather than sort of being part through the painting and being like, ah, but maybe the sculpture, though, you know, and it kind of like back and forth oscillation. And so in some sense, goal setting could actually be better thought of. And this is I, I'm, there may be ways for me to incorporate this into either the workshop or the app. I'm just sort of thinking it out through now. Like goal setting could maybe th- be thought of as more like goal allowing. Mm. It's like, if the thing is on a list of plausible goals anyway, it's like you already have the motivation towards it. What you need is for the rest of you to actually grant, I don't know if permission is quite the word, but to, to step out of the way and say, yes, in the context of everything we could possibly do, knowing that we can't do everything, but also knowing we want to do something, not just sit here and be in conflict our whole lives in the context of everything. It's like for the, it's almost like for the, the other intentions to sort of give their blessing, the other, the other would be goals, the other dreams to give their blessing to like 
no, you ha you do it. You do it. You're the one that we are going to do. And, th and that's on all scales from like today to like your career. It's like letting those give their blessing and say, no, you're going to be the one that wins this version of the day or the life or whatever. Yeah, or literally the split second. It's like, ah, yeah, I'm going to go to the bathroom right now rather than, you know, check my email. Right. Like, like, ah, that intention, that's the one that gets that gets to win this moment. And yeah, goal setting, goal allowing. There's a couple things I want to highlight in what you said there. Um, so in the goal allowing, it almost seems like a, a question of like self-knowledge and alignment because mm -hmm. at least in my experience, in order for all the other competing intentions to bow out of the game, mm -hmm. uh, I, I need to like make sure they're heard. Yeah, totally. And, and almost like negotiate with them yeah. because there are some goals. Like if you do that dream list exercise, you'll notice that some goals actually bring a bunch of other uh, goals for the ride. So mm -hmm. achieving certain things, there's like, you know, um, this is this is where you fall into the trap of optionality. But a lot of people have financial goals because money creates a lot of options. And so, well, it's like, I'll just make more money and then I can achieve all the other goals. Yeah. So my number one goal should be making money. But there's a pitfall there because that's kind of like a, a vessel, right? Money is a vessel. It's not it's not something mm -hmm. it's so like it, a thing in service of other things that. Yeah. So it doesn't really have like texture to it. Um. But yeah, so that process of self-alignment requires a decent amount of self-knowledge. And I think it's that's hard. So like that's one one point. Um, the other point is I really liked how you described the feeling of intentions like competing to rally dopamine or rally resources so that they become the prime intention in that moment. Mm -hmm. And how you notice that happening when you were doing the do-nothing meditation. And I think that brings up the the puzzle of our how, how fitted are we to our current environment? Because we're surrounded by things, mechanisms, apps, marketing, et cetera, that is designed to rally your intent. Like your phone is, is a machine for like getting you to do things. And so if you just go with whatever's the best at rallying dopamine in that moment, you're going to live somebody else's goal. So this is where right. boundaries and stuff come in. Yeah. And and this is this is part of where the shift from productivity to intentionality, which is something that I've been writing about over the course of trying to clarify, like what what's the whole deal with this app? It's like productivity is just output. Mm -hmm. But who gives a shit? And like, did you actually do output that matters to you? Did you do it in a way that actually felt good? Um. You know, there's a way in which processing your email can be, you know, very productive in some sense. But like there is nothing intrinsically it like what like with money, there's nothing intrinsically valuable about right. emptying your inbox. Right. Like that on its own is an empty goal. Now, there's a there's a peace of mind knowing that you're on top of things, knowing whatever, but like why who why did somebody else get to steal your peace of mind until you dealt with their email like yeah and so a lot of the stuff with um with intend is like 
focused on, and, and again, I, I think I need a lot more resources on this because it's like the app only kind of creates a scaffold for this, but it doesn't actually really like, I need guided meditations and more articles and stuff, but it's like, um, it's like you are already in this moment in some sense free to do whatever you want. And that's going to have consequences. You know, you're free to not check your email, but people might be mad at you if you don't. Less than people think, in my experience, mm -hmm. but it depends on your situation, right? Um, you're also... Um, in, term, in terms of... Oh, yeah, so writing stuff down, goals, and so on. Part of the idea with intent is that, like, rather than starting from being bombarded with just random salient affordances, you're starting with big picture stuff and doing things to move yourself towards that. And it's like, okay, if I'm looking at my goal of, you know, grow my business, which is a goal that I have right now. And that's, you know, that's a very salient visceral goal. That's not just about an abstract, make more money, but it's about like having the life I want to have while, you know, being able to raise kids and so on. If I look at that goal and I go, okay, here I am with a work day to work on that, that goal. Now, it might be that I've already planned, here's a thing I got to do, because it's sort of like, you know, it feels kind of like, oh, this thing's really important. It's already behind it's or, or whatever. There's some there's some should already energy to it. Mm. But you got to be careful with should already energy because you can end up with so much of it that you can't ever look at things that don't have it. Right. And then it's like, hmm you're not really free at that point. Like you're not really thinking clearly and considering you're sort of playing catch up. But yeah. It, but it, it's, it's a form of not, not total sanity or something, but, but if, but suppose I don't have like an obvious like thing that I've either already chosen or that's just so, sort of like, you know, um, you know, clearly the thing to do is like fix this giant bug that showed up when I pushed the code yesterday because like, God, if I don't fix that, all the users are going to be really grumpy today, right? Like sometimes there's a situation like that where it just actually is really obvious. But if I don't have a, such an obvious thing, well, it's like at that point, I have a few options. At that point, I might go to a list of blog post ideas or, um, you know, like I might open Twitter and look for a tweet that is some inspiration to riff on to write my own thread about something. Or I might, you know, go and sort of say, hey, I've got this, you know, half-finished project that I, I would really like to finish, so what's the next step for that project? And part of how I see projects is that they have something like relatively well-defined and time-bound scope or something like that. So like the rebrand was a project. And as part of the rebrand project, I wrote down a lot of stuff. But that was that was very different than just capturing things to an inbox that could be sort of some of them don't have to happen at all. They're just ideas. Some of them are like obligations that are due tomorrow. Some of you know it's instead I'm capturing things that are all pretty much need to be dealt with as part of this rebrand. I might decide, you know, I'm actually not going to worry about that until after, even though there's some cost to that. Like currently the content delivery network, the CDN for the 
assets that are being hosted on the website still has complice in the URL. Mm. That was a thing I had hoped to change at some point in the rebrand process, but it didn't really matter. Like that wasn't preventing me from shipping. Nobody sees that. Nobody cares, whatever. Um, so it's like, I didn't, but I, but I, I didn't, I didn't, I did want to make sure that I didn't overlook that in the course of, of the rebrand. Like, and so like, that was one of the things on the list, especially cause I was considering changing services for that altogether. And so like, that was the thing that I was like, oh, well, if I'm changing services, obviously the name will change and then I'll set the thing up. So right. the idea is it's like you open up intend instead of opening up like some messaging app. And intent is like, okay, here are the things that you care about long-term. What are you going to do towards those right now? And it might be that there's some other app that contains a useful list towards that question. But it might also be that you already know. And it might also be that you have some lists and you kind of know that the answer's not on those lists. And so it's like intent is keeping you focused on the inward, the, the, the self driven question of what matters to me rather than it kind of in a kind of responsive reactive mode where like either people are you know putting things on my to-do list whether that's literally like you know even if just somebody sends me a cool article and i open it in a new tab it's like i've implicitly put that on a tiny to-do list right. i mean it depends on how i relate to my tabs but like kind of well this is like um this comes back to your question of like why ever write anything down yeah. And the way I see it is it's kind of like your your email inbox is somebody else's to-do list. So mm -hmm. um your your messages, your WhatsApp messages are somebody else's to-do list. The Slack messages are somebody else's. The Facebook feed, the Twitter feed, the Instagram feed, all the marketing that we are inundated with. Mm -hmm. They're other people's intent, other people's intentionality. Yeah, 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 yeah. And by default, that's flooding into your waking life through so many different windows. And so it's kind of nice to have a space where you have decided this is what matters to me and to come mm -hmm. back to it. And I often feel like a lot, like if I look at the, the things that I struggle with the most and like I've been kind of like writing about and wrestling with over the course of my life, it has to do with this, this thing I'll call like salience landscape landscaping or salience management mm -hmm. and the, the realization that there's there's so many ways in which that which is most salient to you is going to be hijacked by other systems, you know, or like it's that simple saying, um, you need a plan. If you don't have a plan, you're part of somebody else's, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so having writing things down is like a very simple way to take control of that. And it, it kind of fits with the the name of this podcast. I like the term metagame because it's about the game of games and determining, mm -hmm. like being the game designer right. as well as the player. And most of us, most of the time, are playing somebody else's game, not realizing that there's more options. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, in principle, you know, like you can, you can write everything down into some sort of system, whether it's explicitly GTD or bullet journaling or whatever else, and kind of process it manually. But it's like, you want to make sure that nobody has... Well, unless it's literally your boss, like, you know, that nobody has the right to just like insert things into like even even the right to get you to consider doing something. 
is like not a right that is automatically should, sort of should be automatically earned by anybody. Yeah, and that's um, where the boundaries come in. And and this is part of what's so toxic about like the environment where like like the nature of advertising that is like you're getting bombarded with stuff that you do not want and did not ask for but might somehow suck you in anyway. It's like there there's a real like the 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 information landscape is is at present like i like quite like at least with the people you follow it's like if somebody is constantly you know suppose that you follow somebody who you know every day tweets the the most important book that you should read yeah right and every day a different book right and you're like what the fuck right like i'm obviously not going to read the most important book like, I, you know, I'm just not reading that much and you don't know what the most important book for me is. Right. So like you're you're overstepping, buddy, like but you can just unfollow that person. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that with the ads. Right. And it's like the the information landscape that we live in is incredibly hostile mm-hmm. due to the ad supported me- medium situation of. Of the Internet as it but exists, it's, it's not even the ads, it's that in the attention economy, everything is an ad. Like every time I tweet something myself, I'm designing it in a way that is going to be accessible and engageable to the people that I want to engage with it. So everyone's kind of become a marketer. Everyone is like jockeying for attention share or, um, there's a phrase I really like every time you click something, you step into someone else's marketing funnel. Mm. And I think that's even more like most people, like they glance over ads but right, we we're, we're pretty good at like filtering a lot of that stuff out. Yeah. Um, I I have a random question for you, yeah. like that. I I wanted to ask like twenty minutes ago when you were talking about your meditation, and maybe this is like the thing we can close on. Um, so are are you familiar at all with David Data's work? Do you know the, the way of the superior man? Like a little bit, just a little bit. Okay, um, it's a very interesting book, kind of controversial. Uh, but the part that seemed relevant is he talks a lot about purpose for men because the book is geared for men and how um, you should always feel your most important purpose at all times. And you should source your life from that and puts a lot of pressure on people. And a lot of people ask, like, how do I figure out what my purpose is? You know, like, what the fuck do I even have one? And I remember hearing like an audio clip or something where he was answering this question for some young guy who was trying to figure out his purpose. And he basically said to do what you did, which was that do nothing meditation. Um, mm. And so it's like goal setting, uh, journaling, therapy, talk therapy, that type of stuff. I think it's useful for self-understanding and maybe figuring out who you want to be and where you want to go. But there's, there's no substitute to entering that zero state where you do nothing and then feel what comes up in a state like that. And this is the counterpoint to the marketing funnels, to the phone, to like all the other stuff. It sounds so simple, but some amount of asceticism, monasticism, unplugging, detoxing or whatever, I think is foundational for the self-discovery of goals and deeper intentions. And if I were to make this uh, practical for people, it could be as simple as, take like try to take 30 minutes to to do nothing or an hour to do nothing with no stimulation and see how hard that is and then see what sort of thoughts come up 
and then look for a specific type of thought, which is what do you feel like you need to do before you die? Um, and I found that question and you mentioned this earlier as well. You're like, there's some sort of death anxiety underneath this. Uh, I feel like in the whole goal allowing framework that you were describing that question of like, what's, what do I need to do before I die? will bring up the goals that have been there for so long and that um, the other goals will, or the other intentions will like bow out of the game for, you know, they'll be like, no, you should take, you should take this. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's, it's so complex too, because it's like, if you try to sit there and do nothing and the things that are popping into your mind are not, you know, sort of from you, they're from others' expectations of you. They're like, Hey, your taxes are overdue. Hey, you still didn't get back to Bob about the thing. And you also like, it's been a fucking two months now and Bob's going to probably be pissed, but you should reply to him anyway, except you should really feel bad first. And I don't know how you're, po you know, and like all these things are bubbling up that are not like. I think you almost need something else first, which I have yet to figure out exactly how to convey this, but I've been experimenting. So we can sort of, we can invite, you know, I'll just, I'll offer a little version that, you know, people can try at home and they can leave comments on YouTube or whatever with how that, um, how that works for them. But it's like, like take a moment and see if you can just fully rest for literally one moment. Mm, nice. I felt like I felt us just doing it right here, right? And it's like, yeah. all right, now what if we were like, you know, can I fully rest for one minute? And in some situations when I've tried to do this, I discover, honestly, if I try to fully rest for one minute, what happens is my body's like, I got to go pee. Like, mm -hmm. I can't really fully rest for, like, I mean, I could, like, I sort of, sort of could, but it would be like, it would be waiting to go pee for a minute, not fully resting because like i right. would know that obviously the next thing i want to do is go pee which i may not have noticed i might have literally been totally distracted by my work until i try to sort of just whew, and then i'm like wait a minute I've been, I've been ignoring this signal and now that i'm trying to rest it's very obvious and so in doing this what i've noticed is like that kind of resting is possible for and relaxing is possible for me now in a way that it wasn't a few years ago when I had a lot more um, kind of dominating meme plexes, some of them from effective altruism, some of them from uh, feminism or mm. social justice, something. I'm not even sure exactly where, but I had these various meme plexes that were like, you know, if you're not, you know, you cannot fully relax while we haven't solved AI safety. Right. Uh, it's like right. one type of thought that's like in my brain. And I, and I came to realize like that meme. Now, whether leaving aside whether anybody else literally thinks that, because I think even the people I got it from would sort of in principle, like agree that that's kind of stupid. But they may be living that way themselves, even if in principle they agree it's kind of stupid. It's like any meme any any set of social expectations that thinks it's not okay for me to relax fully mm -hmm. for a single moment is batshit insane <laughs> and like 
there may be a sane way to relate to the people that those expectations come from. There may be a sane way to relate to the purpose that those expectations are related to, like solving AI safety or whatever. But if you can't fully rest and, and, and be sort of like checking in with only your own body and, and, and maybe the body of a person that you're with, you know, it's like if, if you're with a little baby and the baby's crying, well, maybe you shouldn't just fully rest for a minute. Right. Because like it's actually like the baby crying is kind of like your own need to do something like you're you're mm. kind of responsible for resolving that. And then the baby's chilling out and then you can be like, OK, cool. Now I'm a rest. So it's like if there's a there's a like. You know, if these social expectations or super egos, as I'm playing with calling them, are sort of like these meme plexes, if they're saying you can't relax for even a moment, it's like. Tell them to wait outside the fucking door. Like, you're a divine human being. These memes are maybe great, maybe not, but like, you need space. And so it's like, I feel like that would be like a pretty powerful invocation to sort of do as part of trying to do the kind of thing that you were just talking about, like riffing on Dieta, where it's like, before trying to see what bubbles up just in me, and as part of like relating to what bubbles up, it's like, if what bubbles up is, you know, oh God, I'm a bad person because I haven't done this thing that somebody else expects of me. It's like, okay, sure. Sure, that thing maybe matters however much it does. I can look at that later. And again, writing things down GTD style is one way to say I can look at it later. But it's important, I think, to not something like promise mm -hmm. this thing that you're going to get to it because maybe you're not. Maybe you're actually not, and that's fine. Yeah, it's uh, the this this dovetails a lot with what Data said in that um, clip, where I think the guy had like a family, and he had a job, and he had a home, and so he had all these responsibilities that would pull him away from having that moment. And he said, "Well, you got to figure out how, like, what you can like carve out." And so he suggested to like set up a tent in his backyard and you know, he comes back from his job because he has to do that to feed his family. And then you just go sit in that tent and there's like no stimulation or anything. Mm -hmm. And then at some point you're sitting in there and you're like, I need to go pee and you get up and that's your purpose. You go pee. Then you go back and you sit down and then you're, you get to that zero state. And it's like, Oh, I need to go eat. And you go eat and then you sit down and you do this until you start to encounter these like karmic shells of things that you've like, signed up for you know for instance being mm -hmm. a father mm -hmm. it's like well i have to there's there's now like purpose there or like being responsible for the family or like that email to bob that's like burning mm -hmm. um in your head and by burning off and completing or renegotiating these these like different shells you get to a like deeper deeper purpose yeah and coming um, into conscious relationship with those rather than letting them just sort of tell you what to do and you're kind of at times you're kind of fighting them off and at other times you're sort of submitting it's like coming into a relationship with them that is like, well, yeah, obviously I'm a father and I care about my kids and I need to take care of them. But the question of what that means is up for me and them and mom, you know, like, like to figure out. It's like it doesn't need right. to be what I assumed it was. Yeah. Yeah. And you can renegotiate and, and be playful about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so in closing, um, do you have any uh, practical suggestions for the listeners if they're like, yeah, this stuff, like I want to set some goals and mm. I don't really know how to do it? Yeah. I mean, one thing to keep in mind is just the like goals, goals do evolve over time, but it's important to it. Like what matters is that you're, you're not baking in some sort of problem from the beginning. Um, that, 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 as I see it is, is a really important part of what it means to like something like commit. And some commitments are kind of loose. Like when you, when you, you know, if I, if I were to say and mean right now, which I am not saying and meaning, I am saying as a hypothetical, if I were to say and mean right now, you know, I'm going to learn how to, you know, bench press 250 pounds by the end of next year, right? If I were to like commit to that, and it's not about saying it to you or to the the listeners, it's about even just the, the act of mm. asserting such that asserting that such a will exists, right? If I were to just do that, without checking like various kinds of opportunity cost with that, both like the time spent at the gym, like do I actually have the gym, you know, like where am I going to the money and equipment and like the, like, um, you know, do I, all these other things, right? Like if I actually don't incorporate all of those into my decision, this is this thing again about like listening to yourself, then it's kind of fake. Mm. And so like recently when I, and, and and part of why we sometimes do this is we feel like, again, we feel like desperate to achieve the result. And so we sort of, or a result like it. So we commit to it without actually listening. Again, this comes back to parts work, to the parts of ourselves that might want something else. And like, I wrote up my process of choosing to rename Complice to Intend. And part of my write-up includes acknowledging there are things I don't like about the new name. Hmm. It's not perfect. It's fucking awesome, but it's not perfect. And if I were to pretend that it was perfect and be like, oh my God, this name is the, it's, it's better in every way and it, this and it, that and it, whatever thing. Then whenever I had these little moments of things that I didn't like about it, which even literally include just like, I feel like the, le- the capital, le- the capital letter I in sans serif fonts is just kind of weak. <laughs> like it's hard to tell the difference between it capitalized and uncapitalized, which Right. Given that it's a word as opposed to like a unique name like Blurklop or some I don't know whatever, um, uh, it's like it you know it matters to have it capitalized so it looks like a proper noun. It's like it's not as visibly clear as it could mm. be capital you know like and so it's like that's the thing I disprefer about the name, and I'm allowing that into my awareness and saying okay is that a deal breaker actually is that a deal breaker letting it be a deal breaker if it's a deal breaker rather than being like oh but the name's so good i'm just i'm sick of trying to figure out another name uh, you know it's like that is also a factor that affects whether or not this is a deal breaker but it's not like an over like i don't let the fact that i am obviously mostly fuck yeah mm-hmm. about it try to negate the things I don't like. Because if I did do that a month down the road, 
I notice, you know, I'm having some difficulty with the thing, whether it's about the letter or whether it's about like the fact that you can't look up the name intend the way you could if it was some novel string of letters that nobody had ever used before. Like, it would be much easier to search Twitter for people talking about it if that were true. Mm -hmm. Like, that was a trade off that I chose. Um, But if I hadn't really chosen that trade off, if I'd just been like, nah, intend is it, it's clearly the best, you know, fuck all these other considerations, then every time that I was annoyed by that, the part of me that was caring about that in the first place would have been like, told you so, told you right, so, right. you've fucking chosen this name, look at, look what you got yourself into. Instead, it's like, I noticed that and I go, yep, that was what I chose. <laughs> and there's a kind of humor and lightness to it. Like, yep, I am, I am indeed having the problem that I expected to have. And so coming back to this, this relates to this like learning to allow goals. And I'm re- I really want to play with that. I'd probably write something up. I should. I'm planning to do it. I can ask myself, you know, and like, will I allow myself to write up something about allowing goals? What what it means to allow a goal in some sense is to allow for all the difficulties that you'll encounter in the course of that goal. Hmm. That's what it means to commit to something. And it might be that there's a degree of difficulty that you can anticipate. And then there's some degree of difficulty that is actually if you'd known it was going to be that hard, you wouldn't have done it. And there's a weird, there's a weird space where it's actually, there's the amount of hard you expect it to be. There's, if I'd known it was going to be that hard, I wouldn't have done it. But now that I'm already halfway doing it, I think it's probably worth finishing. And then there's, Jesus fucking Christ, this is ridiculous. I'm going to, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And it can be hard to tell the difference between these two, right? You're like, this is way harder than I thought. But I don't know. People told me marriage would be hard. So like, how hard is too hard? Right. How do I know when actually this is not what I signed up for and I need to renegotiate or something? Um, so you do your best to anticipate how hard things are going to be and and what what actually will be involved, both in terms of the work and the opportunity cost in pursuing something. And then it's like if you still want to, it's like from that place, you're sort of setting yourself up with a foundation that is uncompromised you're like un you know you have made the trade-offs you wanted to make but you haven't pretended there are not trade-offs in such a way that later when those trade-offs arise you'll be like ah fuck maybe i should reconsider even though literally you could have anticipated being in the moment you're in right now right and and that's like yeah there's something about buy-in there so i don't know if that was super conclusive but hopefully it can function as some sort of inspiration um I have a practical uh, Great. Like compression of that. I, I actually have a template that I use with my clients on this. It's like, there's no, there's no effective goal setting without also sacrifice setting because mm. every goal is going to allow, is going to involve some kind of sacrifice. Otherwise you would have already had the thing right now. And so the, the template is basically you define the goal very precisely. You know, like I'm going to meditate every day for 30 minutes every morning mm-hmm. for the next 30 days. So mm-hmm. it's like super precise. And then you define why you're going to do this. So you have like a, you know, your rationale and you say, what happens if I do this? And you describe all the benefits. Yeah. Then you say, what, what will happen if I don't do this? Mm-hmm. So you describe like, you know, what's going to, the status quo is going to look like. And so that just kind of builds the rationale. That's standard goal setting. But the most important step is the final one, which is what do I have to sacrifice in order for this to happen? what sort of things should I anticipate being challenging that I'm signing up for now? So, you know, it means I got to wake up a little bit earlier. So I have 30 minutes to meditate. 
It means I might have to deal with the discomfort of not knowing if I'm doing it right. You know, just like sitting there and being like, am I meditating? I'm not sure. Um, it might, it might be, uh, I, I might like show up late a couple times to certain things. Like you just list all these different mm-hmm. things that are involved with the thing that you just committed to. And then you sign up for it and you might discover that you don't want to sign up for it. Right, right. It's really important to really give yourself that moment to feel fully free to make the other choice. Yeah. Or to decide, you know what, actually 30 is too much. 20 it is, you know, exactly. like, or whatever the, whatever the thing is. But, but it's important to make sure you might end up with a compromise that actually both parts of you think are stupid. Right, right. You might end up being like, ah, let's do 15. And like, then you get to the end of the month you've, you or something and you've done 15 every day. And you're sort of like, well, I didn't really do much. And then some other it was worth it. Yeah, you knew it wasn't going to do much. All of your friends said meditate at least half an hour in order for it to have any effect. Why did you fucking do 15? You're like, well, I don't know, some other part of, you know, right? It's like this compromise that sort of, and, and this is, again, why it's important to not be in that state of friction, but to but to find, and I really do think of it as, as a kind of finding, to mm. find the answer to the question of what do I in fact want to do and can do fully? That's, that's not a compromise, a halfway like intermediate that is worse on both counts or whatever. Um, and then to, then to allow that, but it's like the allowing is part of the finding you find what you are willing to allow. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that article. Malcolm, where should people uh, find you? Um, my blog, malcolmotion.com. Malcolm has a silent L in it, but it'll redirect if you miss it. Um, my Twitter, Malcolm underscore Ocean, which will not redirect if you miss the silent L. And um, and then intend.do, of course, um, if this conversation has piqued your interest to try out that that software, then uh, definitely give it a shot. Let me know what you think. Let me know. Let me know what aspects of this conversation gave you a better time of using the app. And I'll try to write more of those up as, you know, onboarding materials and stuff like that. Um, yeah, cool. This has been a blast. 